0: you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about. Do you dream of creating picture books that will change a child's life? I know I do. Learn how to find your voice at Picture Book Summit, a world-class online conference for picture book authors and illustrators. Join Picture Book Summit on Saturday, October 3rd, 2020, for keynotes from their award-winning best-selling lineup, including author-illustrator Sophie Blackall, author Lisa Klein Ransom, and author-illustrator Peter H. Reynolds. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get $100 off the regular price if you register by August 12th. Go to picturebooksummit.com forward slash winner.
1: Because people also don't understand accents, you know, even, um, when we had for my for my other book, A Thousand Questions, I just did the same thing, and she they had about seven, eight different um, different uh, voice actors auditioning wow. for each part, and they were all across the board. There was like a an Arab person. There was, but but you understand that the Arab accent is very different from a Pakistani accent, but a person who's not from there is not going to know that. So, you know, as long as it's an exotic sounding thing, it's okay, Jeez. but it's really not, because Jeez. nobody I know would speak like that.
0: This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 618. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today, I'm joined by Sadia Faruqi and Laura Chauvin authors of A Place at the Table. This new middle-grade novel, In Two Voices, examines the growing awareness of who you are outside of your family, an experience many of us go through as we enter middle school. It's also available as an audiobook, and one so good, if I can just say, that I finished it in nearly a day. What brings Sarah and Elizabeth together may start at an after-school cooking club, But their friendship has all of the complexity of two individuals who are at the same time similar and different as can be. Sadia and Laura explore the experience of being a first-generation American through their main characters, drawing from each of their own experiences to tell a rich and beautiful story of navigating bias, confronting prejudice, defending friends, and protecting who you are uncompromisingly. The story asks readers to consider what makes a person privileged, and what to do if you recognize that privilege in your own experiences. As Sadia and Laura note in our conversation, so many kids want to stand up, but don't know how. This story is one answer to that question. Please welcome my guests, Sadia Faruqi and Laura Chauvin, authors of A Place at the Table,
1: Hi, my name is Sadia Faruki. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Um, I'm a Pakistani-American writer. You may have heard of my early reader series, Yasmin. I also write middle-grade novels, essays, and a lot of other things related to interfaith and intercultural dialogue.
2: And I'm Laura Chauvin. I use she, her pronouns. And I am a poet in the schools here in Maryland where I live, and I'm also a middle-grade author. Uh, My two previous books are A Novel in Verse, The Last Fifth Grade of Emerson Elementary, and a novel called Takedown. And I'm really excited to be here, Matthew and Sadia.
0: I'm excited that you're both here to talk about A Place at the Table. What a wonderful story. And to have the opportunity to speak to co-authors about that process and also to just talk to you both. You're my friends and you wrote a really good book. So (laughs) (laughs) let's be selfish for a moment. I want to (laughs) just talk to you. (laughs) I, um, no, I think that this story feels to me. I, 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 we will talk about what, um, where the story comes from and how, how it grew, but it feels a lot to me like getting to witness conversations between the two of you, but set in the context of middle school. just what what it means to discover intersectionality and to um, identify your own biases and 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 how we engage in seeing one another and and really honoring the person. That's in front of us. I thought it was a beautiful story. And it made me hungry. Whenever there's books (laughs) centering around food, I'm like, oh boy, here we go.
2: (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned biases, Matthew, because I don't think that's something, I mean, we've talked about it, but not, I don't think we've talked about that particular word. And now that you say that, it just makes me think that middle school, sort of like that upper elementary middle school age that we write for is a time when kids are sort of growing their awareness of who they are outside of their families. And that can be a time when kids identify or begin to identify biases that they weren't aware of that came from family um, and are wrestling with what to do about it. So um, thank you for bringing that up.
0: I, yeah, go ahead, Sadia, and go ahead.
1: Well, you said in the beginning that it sounded like it was just uh, two people having a conversation. In but the setting is different, and that really is how we wrote this book. It's it's just you know we would talk about things, and we would say, oh, that's an important thing that we would like to write about. It was it really it was way more than just writing a book together for sure.
0: It um, before we go much further, let's let's introduce this book. Would one of you mind sharing a little book talk for? For a place at the table. <laughs> <laughs> if not, <laughs> I, I I totally will. But I want to give you a chance to well, I think to Laura doesn't good your own book. I can't
2: <laughs> So a place at the table is it's the story of two girls um, who are both first generation American. One is Sarah, and her family is Pakistani, and. Um, she is for the very first time going to the big public middle school up until now she's been at a very small uh, parochial muslim school and she is upset at the beginning of the story because her mother has taken a job teaching the after school cooking club and the last person she wants at her big new middle school. Um, where she's just trying to slide by as quietly and unnoticed as she can is her mother. So, you know, she doesn't want her mother engaging with her peers. And she is at this after school cooking club and catches the attention, they both catch the attention of each other, of a girl named Elizabeth, um, who's really the only kid in the cooking club who seems to have any genuine interest in learning these South Asian recipes. Um, Elizabeth is also first-generation American. On one side, her mother is British. The family's recently experienced a loss of a grandparent, and uh, her mother's dealing with depression. So part of Elizabeth's goal, she already loves to cook, but she really wants to help out and make meals um, for the family to help her mother. So uh, part of her story is she really is motivated to be in this cooking club, and She walks in and the very first time, the very first recipe, which is Tahari rice, it's a rice, potatoes and peas, simple dish. And she is just kind of like a wash in all of these spices and smells. And absolutely, it's like love at first sight, except if it were with your nose, smell at first sight, she falls in love with with this cuisine. And the rest of the story goes from there as these two girls um, engage in a friendship that is definitely rocky at times. Um, At some point, they have to decide whether they're willing to do the work that it takes to establish a strong friendship. Um, So that is my book talk.
0: Well done. Bravo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh,
2: good
1: (laughs)
0: one. I think that... that in trying to talk about this there's there's so much um there's so much that i think other children will connect with that i wonder if given a room of a hundred different readers if the description of the book would come out a hundred different ways because of Mm -hmm. just what they are bringing into this too i think of um a pivotal scene in the book and what it says about allyship and calling someone out who claims to be an ally and doesn't step up and how that, uh, really rocked me. Um, and rocked my sense of what does it mean even as a parent and as an educator to help build that quality in my own child for helping to recognize the need to stand up for your friends uh, especially if your friends are being pushed to the margins because of whatever ignorances other people in that group have, which not ironically has been happening over Fortnite, fortnight, which is the conversation we talked about before we started recording.
2: <laughs> Matthew, you just reminded me of something. I don't think I've ever told Saudi this story, the way you're talking about allyship. So I started my career as a high school teacher, and there was um, one time, you know, I was in my... 20s, so I was young. And there was one time where I had a student or two students present a project um, related to a book that we were reading and did something that was anti Semitic. And, you know, as an educator, and both of you are educators, like you're standing up there in the moment and you have that thing of, like, do I say anything? It's, I'm going to get pushback if I do. And I had to stand up and say, I'm, you know, I'm Jewish. It wasn't something we had talked about before in the class. I know there are other Jewish students in this room and what you just did is unacceptable. And I, I feel like, um, yeah, I just feel like there's that, there's that sort of feeling when you're in, a, especially when you're in a cultural group that's underrepresented or marginalized or attacked of this is bigger than me. And I have to speak up because it's bigger than me. And I know other people are listening. And maybe if I speak up, then next time they will speak up.
1: Yeah, it's not easy for kids. I think that once you get older, you get that sense of, of why it's important to stand up. Unless, you know, um, you had that modeling done with you by your parents or someone. It's hard for a right. middle schooler or high schooler to to stand up. And that's one of the important things that we wanted to um, help our readers maybe get a little bit of guidance on how to do
0: I think that building a setting, building an a, 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 an experience with these children of um, being able to to ask the question of whose job is it to call this out mm-hmm. um, and and also the opportunity of of humanizing our own experiences and, and asking the question of, of am I, am I drawn to this because of some sort of tokenizing? Am I drawn to this because of whatever fascination or a, a pure interest? And am I defending this because I feel like it's wrong or because it also personally affects me? There's just a lot of nuance here going on. And I, I it brought up the question for me of, 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 does it require someone from that marginalized background to tell you that you're saying something offensive in order for you to change that sense Laura of, of outing yourself as a Jewish woman mm-hmm. would, would another individual. And I don't know the answer to this. I think unfortunately the world is complex and I continue to engage in spaces like this where I'm like, mm, do you need to hear that someone is queer in order to, recognize that what you're saying is homophobic mm-hmm. um, because so often I think we get defensive and and want to ask what you do in in this book throughout you have Sarah asking this you have Elizabeth asking asking this which is um does it matter does it matter why I think it's wrong it's mm-hmm. it's wrong it sh- I shouldn't have to justify to you why I believe that's wrong or qualify maybe as a better word mm-hmm. my opinion about you saying a hateful thing Um, doesn't need to be qualified in any way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I certainly think it's not important. Um, You know, you don't have to be part of that group. At least that's how I live my life and and teach my own kids. Um, It definitely has more impact, but then a lot of times it has also an equally um, different impact if it's coming from somewhere else. Um, Just that, uh, unfortunately, uh, there are people... In our society, who are seen as—I don't know—not superior, but just they're the mainstream. If somebody who's white stands up for me, I might feel a little bit more validated. For example, as a Muslim, I don't know. It's—it's—it's hmm. um, it, it's, uh, it's important to stand up uh, for somebody else, no matter who you are, and you don't have to be part of that group. That's—that's that's my take. Yeah.
0: I think I think that that's that's the right take to be on, Sadia. It's important to stand up, period.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and in that scene that you mentioned in the book, you know, we didn't only just have that scene where uh, that... Uh, did you, d- I don't think we really explained what that scene was, but and I don't know if we want to I mean, have I don't, to. No, I, I think... Do you mind if I
0: walk us into it? Would that be okay? Yeah. Cool. Sure. So, so in... In this story of Sarah and Elizabeth um, sort of coming together, becoming partners at this cooking club. We also have that Elizabeth is uh, her, her previous friend groups are being challenged a bit. She loves and feels drawn to Sarah and her family and this connection that they end up having while at the same time, she's feeling pushed away by this friend, Maddie. Um, And, one literally pushed away but also feeling isolated from her because Maddie is saying these racist things to Sarah and about Sarah uh, and there's there's a, a, a scene where Maddie and um, Sarah and I'm realizing that I just said Sarah and that was wrong <laughs> Maddie and Sarah um, and and a, a friend from Sarah's previous school are at the mall um Elizabeth and them, and then Maddie comes and, and recognizes that Elizabeth said she was busy, but yet here she is at the mall, and not only that, but she's also with these other girls that that Maddie seems to have this problem with, um, and, and Sarah asks of Maddie, or I'm sorry, Sarah asks of Elizabeth, why didn't you say something to her? Just, you're having me stand here and be the victim, and you're not you're not saying anything to to Maddie, and we I think in that moment, really, it's really materialized this tension between Elizabeth knowing that there are pro- as much as she's defending her her old friend Maddie, there are major problems with how she sees other people, but at the same time these two worlds of how maddie acts and and how elizabeth is friends with sarah they they can't exist separately they they have to coexist somehow which requires elizabeth to step up or realize that by not stepping up she is directly hurting a friend Hey there, book nerds. You know what's even better than hearing bookmakers share stories of how their ideas became the stories you love? Having those stories in your home, your classroom, your library, or your life to be enjoyed over and over. Bookshop.org allows you to purchase your favorite books from the show and support local bookstores while doing it. I even maintain lists of all the books shared each season, so it's easy to find what you're looking for. Visit matthewcwinner.com and click on Shop, or use the link in the show notes to find your next favorite story.
2: Yeah, and I think as you're saying this, it's making me realize too, there's another piece to it as well, and that ties back to what we were saying at the beginning, is Elizabeth is starting to realize that she has this friend, who comes from a very conservative family and that there's like a sort of a mindset that her friend Maddie has. And the mindset is Elizabeth is Jewish, but she's okay. And it's the, but that El- Elizabeth is really hearing for the first time.
0: Oh, and we can go further than that. Can not we Laura? Cause we can say yeah. that Elizabeth's mom is British and that accent is also okay. Or we would even go beyond right. that and say that access is, that accent is desirable. We like that accent
2: right so there's a lot of issues of you know who is who is privileged what makes a person privileged um i think i can't remember if we were talking about it while you were recording or not Um, or maybe we were talking about it yesterday sadia but the idea of um people who who can be marginalized based on just like i'm passing you in the street and i see something about you that allows me to mark shouldn't say allows me to, but, but causes me to marginalize you versus, you know, I don't, you look quote unquote normal. In other words, dominant culture to Mm -hmm. me until you open your mouth or until as has happened to me, I tell you I'm Jewish. And all of a sudden, like you can feel and Sadi, you've probably experienced this, Matthew, maybe you have too, that like you can feel the wall come down between you and this other person when they realize that you're, you are not whatever they thought you were or expected you to be
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. um i don't have the uh, i don't have the luxury of having a wall come down it's already there when <laughs> what we got we're like i uh, very obvious so i start out meeting anybody new with that wall so mm. you know um depending on my mood I'll be like, do I want to bring this wall down or should I just let it down? <laughs> right?
2: And it's like the way you say that, it's your its your job to bring the wall down, right? Like it's yeah. assumed that it, that is on you to bring that wall down.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I actually do trainings of Muslim women in my mosque where, you know, at this point I was like, let's practice smiling because <laughs> – you know, when we go out, we have to make sure that we are smiling so that we don't get negative backlash. And that's awful. You know why I, I was doing that and I hated doing that. It was mm. it's. Um. But anyway, what I what I wanted to say in the beginning, though, was that uh, although that scene was there, we didn't just leave it at that. We had more conversations between these two girls, Sarah and Elizabeth, about what happened what went wrong it was kind of like a rehashing we almost had like almost a contract of friendship um where you know if you're my friend you have to do this you have to stand up for me you have to and and we went back and forth on whether that was too much whether it would be seen as preachy or as as pedantic or something and then we decided we it was important for us because we wanted to give our readers the tools So many kids want to stand up. So many kids want to say something, but they just don't know how because it's it's just that time of their life when everything is scary and different and they don't know how people are going to react. So we took the um, risk of putting all those conversations in, which took it a step further than just here, this is how you do it, but also talking about it a little bit.
2: Yeah, and we also, Matthew, we've been talking a lot about the idea that Um, especially girls, but kids in general, but girls in particular of this age, they're moving beyond that sort of like my friendships are with the people who live around me, you know, the people where I can tumble out the door and my friend is there. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to grow their friend circles um, and move into being more selective in their friendships. But that also means when there's a conflict, they don't always know how to deal with it. You know, um, and Sadia and I sort of like after writing the book, I think we realized that these girls are doing something that women aren't always trained in how to do, which is how to work through a conflict with a friend. Um, You know, so often there's so much about like relational bullying between girls and um, using the silent treatment and kind of freezing people out. And I feel like Sarah and Elizabeth have to make a conscious decision that they're not going to do that. They're going to, um, you know, be angry and upset with each other, but talk about it because they value their friendship.
0: I think that by having them have I always go back to that phrase from that book by Jenny Sukasteki Shaw. By having them have the same, same but different experiences Mm -hmm. it allows them to have more in common than they have different, which is probably true of many, many of us, but you have to give yourselves the chance to recognize how much you have in common with someone, even if the experience doesn't look the exact same. And I I think that so much of the way I would talk about this book is about the two of those girls, Sarah and Elizabeth, just, understanding each other through through living life, not even necessarily through conversations, understanding each other through what holidays they celebrate or how this food is actually a lot like this other food that we make or no, we don't celebrate Halloween. Sarah reacting, I remember what an impression it left to me that from the audiobook, I listened on audio, right? Um, that th- the way it was read, it felt like Sarah was like annoyed to have yet another person that she has to explain to why we don't celebrate Halloween and why you think all of you think that all that everyone celebrates Halloween, but we don't. It was probably affecting to me that way because I'm in a school and because <laughs> Halloween is a thing that schools seem to think that everybody, everybody, carte blanche, just, just everyone, of course, everyone celebrates Halloween and wants to dress yeah. up and get candy and to have... Sarah, to give Sarah a moment on the page to be able to say, no, your experience is not everybody's experience uh, just w- was impactful to me. And I, I have to think as a reader that those moments, especially for readers who who take for granted that not everyone shares the same experience of walking through life as you, um, those m- moments are are those moments that cause you to, to wake up and to pay attention in what you're reading and to really see where you are as a reader in this story as well?
1: Absolutely. And you know, uh, if, uh, those who know me know that I've, uh, my writing is kind of an extension of my overall interfaith work. And these are the kind of conversations we have on an adult level all the time and have been mm-hmm. doing for years and years. And, um, It's no different whether it's uh, the audience might be younger or older, but there are so many things that can bring us together, Uh, food and holidays, like you said, and and, uh, everyday experiences of family and friendship. Those are the things that can show us how similar we are. There's a lot of people, uh, for example, who might not celebrate Halloween, but it's seen as such a universally American um, uh, holiday that uh, I would I, I I venture that a lot of readers who are kids who might be reading this book and who are not Muslim might also be saying yeah I my my mom or dad doesn't let me do this either and I'm glad there's somebody else like me yeah. um, and then we contrasted that with Thanksgiving which is such a a uh, popular holiday, and my experience has been that so many Americans were are like when they um hear when they they will ask me, "Oh, really? I didn't know you celebrate Thanksgiving." Well, why wouldn't I? It's it's an American holiday. It's not against my faith. So we wanted to really showcase those two holidays, one that everyone assumes you do and one that everyone assumes you don't and and show how we are in each of them.
2: Sadia, you're reminding me it was really funny as we were talking about the Thanksgiving scene and I think this is one of those things that came out of a genuine conversation. And we were talking about turkey and I Sadia all of a sudden it was like we don't have turkeys in Pakistan <laughs> And I was like, Oh yeah <laughs> Oh right. Okay. So
0: Oh, access actually informs the experience. <laughs> That's awesome. Right.
1: And, you know, I never developed the ta- I mean, I love turkey burgers, but to eat a turkey leg, that just to me is, is very strange. <laughs> so we have, you know, chicken instead. What's the difference? It doesn't really matter as long as you're celebrating the holiday. I, <laughs> That's
0: right. I think also, both of you, Sadia and Laura, I think also about what I would classify as details in this story that don't have a huge amount of bearing on, on where the story goes, but how much I value that those details were there. And in particular, what I mean for each of the girls is with Sarah, I think about her drawing and her assignment to do essentially a, a graphic arts assignment. And so she decides that she's going to design a new logo for her mom's business and just, what that means speaking for her as a character, what that means to be a kid that is like, I'm going to work on this thing that might help my mom be more successful, but we don't have a point in the book that's like, and then suddenly she revealed the logo to her mom and mom's sales tripled. But it has, (laughs) it has this, there's space for her to just have information presented about her That just gives us a little bit more richness about her without again having bearing on the quote-unquote like success of of their goals in the plot in in particular the the goal of um of winning this this international uh food festival i think likewise of elizabeth and (laughs) laura i know you're aware this is not me this is not a surprising outing but but to have this connection to doctor who And, um, (laughs) the whole time I was like, you know, I have a Gallifreyan tattoo. Um, and in the beginning, when, when they were describing the doctor, this is now I'm clearly showing my nerdiness, but in the beginning when they're talking about the doctor and how you describe the TARDIS when you have a child or a reader that potentially has no experience whatsoever. And at first I'm like, no, you're describing it wrong. And then I was like, Matthew, give it time, give it time. Um, but again, I think about how, that was just something about Elizabeth that informed the way she walked through the world and the way that other people saw her or didn't. But it it didn't become, again, this monumental plot thing of like Elizabeth feeling like she needs to compromise her her nerddom in order to be accepted by this other person. I walked away from this book realizing, wow, I really appreciated that these girls had things that I could describe them and I could connect to these girls from my experience reading these books, but that those elements uh, of detail about them uh, again, through, through my experience of the story didn't weigh heavily on how the plot unfolded, but more that it was important that we knew that, that, that these girls are also something outside of their relationship to other kids.
2: I'm actually I'm thinking about the character of Stephanie who in a way is kind of a minor character she's Maddie's friend and she's a member of the cooking club and a very sort of like alpha seeming girl and there's something revealed about Stephanie at the very very end, very end very of the end. novel that, but it it shifts I hope your whole understanding of who she is and where she came, comes from and it certainly shifts
0: Elizabeth's understanding. Sure the entire book her. we get this sense that uh, that all that Stephanie wants to do is bake cupcakes because she has her own business and here's her logo. And this is the thing she does. And we get sort of hints throughout the book that there's some sort of altruistic, um, thing about where, what she's doing with her profits, but we don't, it's never quite followed. It's more that, well, this is like Maddie's new partner is more of the way, the, the view that we get on her. Um, until like you said, the end And that maybe that is what's, causing me to reflect on the girls the way on these elements of the girls the way it is too. Also Howard County shout out. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, for the listeners, Laura and I live in the same county in Maryland <laughs> and the county is <laughs> named in the book. Um I I think yeah. that I I would like to ask you both about where this story started and and how the exploration of these characters took place between you because I I, what I want to say out front is how beautifully I think you developed Sarah and Elizabeth for us as readers to to come to know them on the page so could you tell me a little bit about the the genesis of this story and of the characters go
1: ahead Uh, I went went first (laughs) well i mean you're you're the reason it came about i guess so So let's start an idea
2: to write a book about um, being first generation american and about a girl whose mother is sort of like stalled out in the citizenship process um and it was going to be called citizen mom which my 20 year old was like (laughs) worst title ever
1: mom no no I like it I don't hate it though
2: (laughs) it's a different book right um so I guess from the outset the focus was kind of like on um first generation American kids and mother-daughter relationships um I was talking with my agent and my agent was saying you know co-authored books are are a thing in middle grade right now so think about that and those pieces fell together and Sadia and I had met through the Pitch Wars author mentoring program and stayed in t- I think it had been maybe the was it two years before Sadia or maybe a year before I don't, I don't, even, I don't know.
1: even remember it wasn't uh, that probably a year
2: yeah because Yasmin I think had sold but it wasn't out yet and mm-hmm. um I just emailed Sadia and said, do you want to write a book with me? Um, I think it was because I knew, one of the things I knew about Sadia was she was a fairly new citizen. Um, and I think it, it was a gut thing, like I, I had read um, a novel that Sadia had written that I really love and hope that she will go back to someday. Um, oh and love the voice of that character. And it just, I think that there was a gut feeling of, oh, the thing that isn't feeling grounded about this story idea is that the immigration experience and the first generation experience is so broad. This story should not be told in one voice. This is, and I've written books in multiple voices before myself, but it was like that realization of, oh, this is a story that needs to be told from different points of view to kind of just scratch the surface of the idea that we can, you know, we can bond as Sadia and I have over this idea of what it means to be first generation, as I like to say, what it means to be American when your parent is not, um, mm-hmm. that it that we had an opportunity together to give a broader view of this experience that no one author could do alone.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, the the topic of immigration in our country is most often viewed through um, the lens of people of color. So it's I think that it would have been probably, Laura, harder for you to um, to write a book about a non uh, a white family or, or people who are not part of that narrative just because that's how it's viewed you know people don't even think of the many many immigrants that come from Europe or Canada it's it's always you know why are these people coming here and they don't look like me so i, I think that it was important for me to be a part of that conversation and bring and showcase the the differences, like Matthew, you said earlier about, you know, my mom has an accent and Elizabeth's mom has an accent, but it's only my mom who gets the the, the stares and the glares. And yeah. well, we can't understand what she's saying um, because this is something that's true for so many people. So I really thought that I wanted to speak to as as myself, a mother who's an immigrant raising first generation kids here, it, it was important for me to bring that um you know, perspective.
2: And that it, it allowed us to do so many things. It, it allowed us, Well, we had an experience at NCTE where we were talking, we were on a first generation panel, like all of the stories were about yeah. first generation experience. And I was talking about, we were talking about some of the stressors that have been identified on first generation American kids. And we were talking about it. And I mentioned how, you know, my mom didn't have to deal with, racism because she's white you know her as soon as she opens her mouth everybody's like oh your accent is so beautiful Mm -hmm. and yet because of that because she's european looking because she has this british accent it actually removed her from resources because nobody thought she needed help and that was extremely difficult for her and um and affected her mental health. And we actually had a woman in the audience break out in tears because her family was from Germany and um, she had a similar experience. People didn't realize that they needed the support that a typical immigrant family needs. So there's that piece, um, but there's also the piece of, like, sometimes when we write books, we do this thing where we can give ourselves or give people in our lives something that we didn't have and wish we had had so I feel like one of the things in writing this book with Sadia that I was able to do was give my mom a friend or give I'm starting to get a little like emotional as I say this give Elizabeth's mother an adult female friend to share this experience with which mom did not have and and it would have helped her so much so that was like uh, for me, a very beautiful thing to be able to do in this book. And it's interesting because the, the two mothers just fall into this very easy friendship. There's <laughs> like, there's no conflict there. They just immediately yeah. sort of, after the initial meeting, they hit it off. They get along. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a big contrast with Elizabeth and Sarah who are working through so much. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it was important. Uh, me as a writer also, I really want to bring across our secondary character, especially parents. I feel like that's not done as much in middle grade, which I feel a bit sad about because parents are, are, and grandparents are such an important part of a child's life at that time. But in most middle grade novels, they're just either absent or busy or not even there. And um, I wanted to have the the moms to have their own story and and the the dads to be there and and, um, to show that, you know, uh, it's not just about one person. Everybody struggles whenever you have these issues.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about all the different characters in this book that we haven't even touched on to go far into the parents to think about the teachers. uh, Mrs. Cluck. In particular <laughs> different people like that I'm, I'm just thinking yeah. about, about that and, and about siblings and just about all that all that's here in this story thank you for making not only these girls count in this book but everyone in their lives um felt like they were a part of of the families of these girls that that um that you're drawing threads from the same place. They're different, but but they also live under the same roof together. <laughs> I, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we could go on. And I, I always love when there's the feeling that we could go on and on. But instead, I think we should just wrap up because that leaves space for your readers to have their own thoughts and their own conversations about this book. And hopefully they will um, virtually uh, reach out to you both Uh, over this coming year and, and express to you how they connected with this story. Thank you both so much for coming on and talking to me today. Thank you, Matthew. It's always
2: good to talk to you, and um, and you too, Sadia. Always good to
1: talk. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I love, uh, uh, Matthew, I love your enthusiasm for our book. You can not see me, but I'm I'm smiling, and I, you know, I'm not a very smiley person.
0: <laughs> you are smiling, and you didn't need to put it on. I appreciate that, Sadia. Yeah, you never well, need to smile with me, but I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> Well, it's it's heartwarming, you know. You put your your innermost day, feelings and experiences in a book, and and you never know how it's going to be received. And I respect you so much. I really appreciate that feedback.
0: Well, I, it's not lost on me that I am just one reader, but I appreciate the platform to be able to share my experiences directly with you, um, as an audiobook listener, as a as a reader, as a teacher, um, and I look forward to. Sharing this book with my students, and hopefully in turn bringing back some of their experiences to share with you both. Thank you for being my friends, for being connected and for for all that you do to bring these stories to our readers. They're very important and and very beautifully written and as I said before recording, I did not like Maddie, but I like that you made these girls keep Maddie in this story, which made me question things about myself and taught me things about myself. And I, you know, we, we all, every reader, no matter what age should be so lucky to feel connections in a book and to feel seen and to, 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 to find your space uh, within that book and, and engage in that way. So thank you for that as well. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I want to give you a chance to speak directly to your readers. So, Laura, I'll go to you first, that I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you?
2: I think the only message I would like to share today is your story is important. And however you would like to share that story that feels comfortable to you,
0: um, there are people who need to hear it. Wonderful. Sadia, same question that I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you?
1: Uh, yeah, I, um, I would like to tell um, your your listeners, um, when you meet someone new, don't listen to what others may say about that person. Uh, get to know them, ask them questions, make up your own mind about that person. It may be hard work. It's easier to just listen to what others say or what you hear on the news, Um, but it's definitely worth it.
0: The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at MatthewCWinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron, and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed.